friends. This is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I am your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas. This is episode six, entitled, We Came Here to Be Magic. And it should be, I think, noted (laughs) early on that the title is an extension from last week, uh, episode five, which was entitled, We Didn't Come Here to Be Right, dot, dot, dot. We came here to be magic. And I want to talk about magic today. And I want to talk a little bit about, I want to start off by telling you how I even was sort of called to tell this particular story. Um, And then we'll just kind of plunge right into it. Because for me, I feel like striking at the heart of magic things is striking at the heart of what artists are doing here. Um, I've talked a little bit about how I think artists are sensitive and that the reason they're sensitive is because that is literally how they do their work. They feel under the surface of people, places, things, and then they get information there and they funnel that information into work that serves people. It's soul work. Artwork is soul work that artists are soul doctors, that people heal their souls through making work and consuming work by others. And the stories on this podcast are the stories that help me now as an artist and also helped me when I was, you know, the things that I wanted when I was young to help me because um, I feel like. I feel like a lot of artists can kind of relate to this feeling of just like always feeling like a fish out of water. Like, where's the water? Where's the water? Like the culture, the culture is structured for people that function really well on land, you know? And so in some ways I wanted Secret Sauce to be a podcast that provided some, some water, some, some soup, some sauce. (laughs) And for me telling stories, is a nice way to do that because stories create space. Um, I I wanted to avoid giving advice because advice is so limiting. Um, Stories allow, I think, people listening, allows you listening to sort of take the pieces that resonate and leave the rest, something I say in every episode. And... So I want to talk a little bit about how I kind of come up with these stories. Um, If it seems like there's a rhyme or reason to them, that's cool, because there's definitely not. (laughs) um, In January, I took a course from a woman named Lindsay Mack. She has a podcast called Tarot for the Wild Soul, and she also has an Instagram account that um, explores tarot. Um, I love her classes and I love her podcast. Even if you don't have a tarot practice, even if you don't know anything about tarot, um, she does this amazing job of using the artwork and the imagery in tarot as a focal point for talking about life. And I get so much, (laughs) um, I get so much support for my day-to-day experience by listening to her stuff. So if, um, you're looking for a source 
um, of wisdom that uses imagery as sort of the foundation for wisdom and guidance. Um, you should check her. You should check her out. I think she's pretty great. Um, I took a class from her. Actually, it's the only class I've taken from her so far in January on spiralic knowing, which is sort of a fancy way for saying how our intuition functions. Um, and one of the things that she kind of talked about is how creative people and artistic people make a lot of their decisions through intuitive knowing. And intuitive knowing functions completely differently than rational knowing. Rational knowing tends to be very linear, right? So you like are progressing in a straight line from one point to the next to the next, and then you eventually you get to this sort of goal, right? Um, intuitive knowing functions uh, in a spiral instead of a straight line. It's a fascinating course that blew my life experience open in the best way. Um, it 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 was like the final piece in this like very intricate puzzle that I had been kind of like trying to weave when it came to how my brain worked, right? Like I felt like her way of describing intuitive knowing gave voice um, and like, and sort of like a, like a, a container maybe for my, my brain <laughs> and how my brain works. If you find, if you're a creative person who's always felt like there's a lot of value to the way that you think, and also you feel plagued by the way that you think and confused by the way that you think, you might get a lot out of um, the course. I think it's closed right now, but it is going to reopen in 2021. Um, and she has a fabulous newsletter that kind of keeps people up to par on when courses are opening and closing, et cetera. So definitely give her a follow if that sounds like something that would be interesting to you. But the reason I'm like kind of tangenting and like talking about this other person is that in this course on intuitive knowing, um, she did this beautiful job of explaining the voices in our heads that our intuition, our soul voices, the voices we absolutely want to listen to. <laughs> and then the, and then the not soul voices, the voices that are angry and critical and shitty. And up until listening to her course, I had had a really hard time with differentiating between those two voices. So when I was making decisions intuitively, I would listen to the good voices and the shitty <laughs> and the shitty voices, you know. And after this course, I got this beautiful sort of framework for how to take the right intuitive soul impressions and um, make informed decisions in my business and in my life and in my relationships from an intuitive place. And then also how to sort of leave the parts of my inner world that were like beating myself up and and angrily like telling me to get my shit together. Like it was really, really helpful. I'm not going to do it justice. Um, you know, if you're interested in that topic, definitely sign up for her newsletter. But one of the things that sort of sprung forth from that class was I instantly had a framework for how to pick the topics that my soul most wanted for my art and for this podcast and for the classes that I teach. It was awesome. Um, and, 
And (laughs) I also got like sort of a front row seat to this phenomena that Lindsay described in her course, which is that sometimes the, the things that you're being called to share are really things you would prefer not to share. <laughs> that it's not always rainbows and roses and unicorns, right? Like that, and learning to tell the difference. Um, and interestingly, I would I would have to say that as I've been reflecting on what each episode for this podcast is going to be going forward, pretty much every week it's something that I feel incredibly compelled to share that I deeply, deeply know that this is the story I'm supposed to share. And every time I'm like, but does it have to be this story? (laughs) Like, does it, can it be a different story that feels a little safer, that feels a little bit less uncomfortable? And I think there's probably some (laughs) interesting truth around why all of the stories make me feel so antsy to share them. And I really felt like I needed to give voice to that this week before I moved forward into the story, because this story is probably in in a lot of ways, the most out of my comfort zone that I've told so far. Um, and, and yet I'm feeling like, no, this is, this has to be shared. So, um, so, so there, so there's that disclaimer. <laughs> I want to talk about magic. This story is about magic. It's about one of the first times in my life that I fell back into belief with magic. I think all of us are born believing in magic. Um, not even believing in magic because belief sort of implies that there's a state of of not believing and then you have to choose to believe in a thing. But when you're little, you don't choose to believe in magic. It's just, it, it's just a thing that's like real, you know? And then, um, over the course of growing older, you let go of a lot of those beliefs. And I'd like to suggest that that's not, a black and white thing, right? It's really easy to say, oh yeah, we stopped believing in magic because the world corrupts us and that's terrible and it's awful. But I don't know if it's that black and white. I, I, I remember this conversation I had years ago with a first grade teacher at one of my schools where I was an elementary art teacher. And she talked about how there was this interesting tightrope walk of teaching little children to be true to themselves and to stay magic. She used those words and to stay magic while also recognizing that the world is very different and that part of our job is to help kids function in the world. And in some ways that means that they're going to lose a little bit of the magic. Um, And can we give them the tools to reclaim the magic later? Like that was how she kind of viewed her job. And I loved that. I I don't know if that narrative like does a perfect and complete job of describing how we should honor children, but I think that it gets closer to the core of what we're trying to do because the earth is in some ways a really cruel place, you know? And so it's not enough to just like protect kids in this little shell 
<laughs> where everything is magic and perfect, you know, that eventually they're going to have the, ma- the magic is going to shatter. It's going to, it's just the way it is on this planet. And so I'm not trying to make some like big, broad general statement about, about how we lose the magic and that's awful. I don't, I don't think it's that simple. Um, but I do think that part of our job as artists is to reacquaint ourselves with magic. Um, I was reading the, so during the quarantine, I, I started reading a lot more and I finally decided to like dive into the Harry Potter series, like so late. I'm so late to the game. (laughs) And I ran across, um, this statement by Dumbledore where he is talking about music, but I think it could relate to all art. And he says, ah, music. That's a far greater magic than we practice here. And I loved that Um, because he is saying, you know, sort of, and obviously by the author, um, that that art is like stronger magic than wizardry. Like that, I think that's such a beautiful idea, right? I mean, if we really start thinking about the things we make as more powerful than wizardry, like what a neat sort of thought experiment to begin to wrap our heads around, you know? But I feel like magic is so abstract. Like, I feel like the word just means so many things and simultaneously nothing at the same time, you know, because we don't really have a concrete experience with magic. Like, we can imagine what magic is, but we don't have concrete examples of it, at least not many. I want to say that's changing though. I think maybe you can, maybe even you can think of a time when you ran up against magic in a concrete way. The story that I'm going to tell today is, is the first time that I really like up until this particular experience, I'd, I'd run into magic sort of gently, like a gentle brush. (laughs) And then this experience happened when I first moved to Austin and it was like, I just like crashed into magic and my life was never the same. And so I want to tell this story and kind of before I plunge into it here, I also want to give a sort of second disclaimer, which is that the story is definitely going to be, um, a little out there, uh, a lot out there, a lot out there. Um, for some people, for some people, it's going to be like their jam. And I, I think that this sort of idea could be said for any of the episodes I do that, you know, some people are going to love it. Some people aren't, but, but this particular story maybe more so. And so I kind of want to put that out there ahead of time. Um, because the goal for me in telling this story is not to convince you that this story is true. Um, and so if you find yourself listening to this story and being like, I don't know, that's okay. You're still going to get a lot out of it. Hang with me. Because for me, the story is not about the truthfulness of this experience. It's about that this kind of experience happened at all. Okay. So, um, when I first moved to Austin, I was, I've ta- I talked a little bit about this, I think in a, a past episode, um, I was in a huge transition period. I had had a very sort of checklist worthy 
life in Ohio, I had done all of the things that an adult is supposed to do, right? Like I had gone to my, to an undergraduate degree in college. I had, you know, dated some people on and off. I had sort of a little bit of a gap year after my undergrad. And before I went into school teaching, I went to Miami, had a little bit of fun. And then I came back to Ohio and I like took this really amazing school teaching job. I got my first apartment, my first car, you know, all the things. Um, I I was like going down the checklist and I hit 29 years old and I'm just like, I hate this checklist. Like none of this stuff, (laughs) none of this stuff is what I really want to do. It took a lot of courage, but I ended up moving to Austin and kind of throwing the checklist in the trash. And the thing that was sort of very uncomfortable during that time was that it wasn't a clean break. I The break from my Ohio life to Austin life took like a, a full year and a half. I kept my relationship from Ohio for a long time. I actually kept my job, my school teaching job uh, on sabbatical in Ohio. So, like this, so the first year in Austin was, was this long, painful sort of drawn out process of me like trying to decide if I was going to make the final severs from my old life. And during that time, I was looking, looking, looking for all kinds of of information outside of myself. Like I was just very uncomfortable with looking internally still. And I was talking to a good friend of mine um, who I feel like is like solidly in between the poles of science and hippie, right? Like she's right in the middle. Um, And she had gone, one day she and I were talking and she goes, you know, I got to tell you, I just went to see this woman. She lives out in um, West Austin and she's a medium. And I just thought it was the coolest thing, Becca. Like I left feeling so good. It was like kind of mystical, but also just, she's very specific and very no nonsense and very grounded. And I, I, I don't know what I was expecting, she told me, but I was kind of expecting it to be way more woo. And like, it it was actually just like really one of the realest things I've ever done. And I feel like if you're looking for some guidance in alternative places, maybe this is someone you might want to check out. And so, and so I was like, yeah, all right, I'm, 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 I'm into that. So I, I make an appointment uh, with this, with this woman, I'm going to leave a link to her, um, space in Austin. She's still practicing. Um, she is quite talented and has since, um, become quite expensive as she should. Um, I do believe that there's a lottery to have sessions with her still, but she also has some apprentices that work with her, uh, and I get one-on-one sessions from one of them now. And also they do these amazing group healings and meditations and, um, their work has been integral to my growth as an artist. So I'm going to leave that in the comments if you want to check it out, if that's, if that's your type of thing. But this was like, this was in 2011, you know, this was like my first sort of dabble in anything kind of like this. And I showed up at, at her space. She was working out of her home. It was very casual. She just had like a little spare bedroom that she turned into an office space. And she was just the most normal everyday person I'd ever seen. Like, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting to like feel something like woo 
And instead I was just like, no, it's just like a, a woman that I would talk to like normal. And, and actually that's what I did. We just, we just started talking like normal. And one of the things that I was really struck by was that she immediately started telling me things that to me were just bananas, but she would like do it in a way that was like, so like, what's the weather today? Right? Like, so for example, I, at one point she said to me, oh, well, you're, you're so clairaudient. And I said, what? Claire, what? <laughs> and she said, well, you hear things. And clear audience means that you get intuitive messages through hearing things. She said, most people are familiar with clairvoyance, which is when you get visions, but your primary way is, is hearing. And I was like, you know, no, I don't hear anything. <laughs> I don't hear anything. And she said, no, 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 you don't hear it in your ears. You hear it in your head. And I remember, it was so hysterical, y'all. I remember I had this visceral reaction of like slamming her couch with my, with both of my hands. And like, she was, she's like such a grounded person. She didn't even flinch. Like she, she just smiled at me. And I said, you know, I, I burst out with like, holy shit. Like when I had been a kid, I used to have like words, like totally nonsensical words, like loop in my head didn't make any sense. And I, I really just ignored them y'all because it made me feel kind of crazy. And, and I figured, well, as long as these like phrases and words don't negatively affect my outer life, I'm just going to pretend that they're not there, you know? And she was so sweet. She's like, yeah, you know, she goes, I know what that's like. She goes, sometimes I just like, will like in my head kind of like talk back whenever that happens. And it makes me feel less crazy. Cause then it's like, I'm recognizing that, that I'm picking up on something outside of me, that it's not in me, that I'm not the weird one. And I, I was like, whoa, like this woman had given this weird sort of completely different explanation for this very uncomfortable experience I'd been having. And she had immediately in very like short period of time made me feel so much better and sane around it. And I, you know, I'm immediately then of course, now my curiosity has been like fully stoked. Right. And we continue kind of chatting and, and I said to her, you know, can I, can I tell you something that I, I hear like right now in my life? And she's like, yeah. And, you know, because I had been, there was this person that I had met when I first moved to Austin and, you know, we would interact on and off sometimes throughout the months and, Whenever I would be around him, I would hear this sentence. It was the same sentence. Um, and weirdly, I just like, I know it sounds silly. Like, I'm sure some of you are listening to this and you're like, Borelli, you were hearing sentences in your head and you didn't immediately just like want to know what that was. And I'd like to suggest that you probably hear shit and you probably just like... Like there's no, there was nothing in my outer world reaffirming that those were a thing. And when there's nothing affirming it, you just, it just sort of becomes invisible, y'all. I'd like to suggest you probably are going to start like noticing things pop up in your head now after listening to me tell this story. Some of you might, some of you might not, but... And so suddenly like this conversation with this, this medium had me looking at like the weird, like 
the weird brain farts, like I had perceived them as brain farts, like just like weird bubbly thoughts in a totally different way, you know? And I had been having this sentence loop in my head around this particular guy. And I said, is that like something that, you know, is for him? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, you know, she goes, intuitives get such a bad rap. Like she goes, especially in the media, she goes, I don't really love the way that TV and movies portray this type of ability. She goes, it's, it's not nearly as exploitive as you like exploitative as you see, you know, like I don't really love that there's like TV shows with like intuitive people, like walking up to strangers in the grocery store and saying, Oh, your dead grandmother's talking to me. And she goes, that's actually really invasive and and shitty. She didn't use the word shitty, but, but I'm using the word shitty because it is, you know, and she said, so in general, I don't, if I, if I pick up on something around another person, I don't share it. She goes, but in this case, I think that you are supposed to share it. Um, and I think he'd be open to it. She goes, if you want, she goes, no pressure. And you know, we talked about a lot of things in that session, but that was the one that stuck with me. And I left and I was like, man, like, I kind of feel like, I kind of felt like all of the sudden this woman had like, without even really trying, she, she gave me permission to believe in magic again. Like that, that suddenly there were parts of my experience that had previously made me feel just stupid. (laughs) Hence kind of scatterbrained, kind of ADD, you know? And suddenly there was this new story that these things might actually be kind of magic. And I really wanted to believe that, right? I really wanted to believe that. And so I felt like really inspired to explore it. It took me a few months to get up the courage, but I finally reached out to this guy on social media and I sent him a message and, um, I'll never forget. I just said, Hey, I said, you know how people in our friend circle view me as kind of sensitive, which I mean, is not news to anyone that's known me for more than like 24 hours. Like I cry easily. I feel all the things like, And I felt like he was going to get that, you know, and and he did. And I said, you know, I've actually been exploring this idea that maybe the sensitivity extends to some other things. And I feel like I'm getting some type of message around you. If you're interested, I'd love to, to talk to you about it. And if not a hundred percent, I understand. And, and the medium, the medium had been right. He was super interested and he's like, yeah, let me give you a call. Like, I'd love to talk about it. So he gave me a call like a day or two later and I was so, oh y'all, I was so nervous. Like this was not in my realm of like comfort. And also there was all kinds of other like cultural stories like banging around in the back of my brain. Like I think we all have a really healthy skepticism around this kind of thing. Like this happened in 2011 and then I continued to kind of like delve into this sort of magical idea around intuitive knowing, you know, ever since. And by the time I met my now husband in 2013, 
I was like fully invested in this idea that there's so much more to our minds and the world than we have the senses to fully grasp, you know? And, but I'm, I'm now married to an incredibly logical, rational, scientific man. And I remember being like, is this going to work? Like, is my hippie sensitive squishy ways going to work with this guy? Like, cause if it's not, we should probably just stop dating like right now. <laughs> and I remember, you know, kind of telling him like, Hey, this is how I view the world. I view the world as, as kind of hippie. And, and, and if you, have issues with that. I don't know if it's going to work. Like we should just kind of like get that out on the table, I think. And I remember him saying, oh yeah, Becca, like I, I get it. He goes, just so you know, I don't, I would never probably choose to view the world through any of these particular narratives. He said, but I really love and respect that you do. And that was how I knew that we were going to be great. And we have been great. Um, And that's how I know that these kind of stories don't have to be believed to be told. And so, um, but I had a lot of fear around talking to to Jason about that kind of stuff because, um, because, and he rightfully kind of pointed this out. We have a history, like, like human history is like riddled with institutions, like using sort of magical, mysterious, completely subjective bullshit to do really atrocious things to people. Like an example that immediately comes to mind is the witch trials. Like women were killed with no, with no basis except for a feeling that a couple of powerful people had, right? So I think humans rightfully have deep skepticism around feelings, right? Like, So I'm trying really hard to strike this balance before I talk to this guy between like, yeah, I feel like there's something here. And also, I don't want to be like freaking you out. (laughs) And I also want to do justice to some like, some rational thought here, right? Like how can I bring some rational thought to this decidedly not rational thing that I'm experiencing right now? And so I decided, you know, as I, before I talked to him, I decided that, that this was how I was going to do it. I was just going to say, hey, look, I went to see this medium for the first time and I got a bunch of information that's completely new to me. So this is really outside of my comfort zone, just so you know. <laughs> but here's this thing that I hear in my head when I'm around you. I don't know what it means. I have no desire to interpret it. I just thought you should know. And, and so that's what I said to him. It was one of the most uncomfortable things I'd ever done up until that point in my life. And, and subsequently telling you this story is also incredibly uncomfortable for me. Um, but also just so magic. Like if, if you had told me 10 years earlier that I would be having this experience, I wouldn't have believed it. Like it was just really exciting in some ways to be brushing up against something that was decidedly beyond what I had ever known in my life up until that point, you know? And so I, so I, so I kind of lay this out for him that way. And he's so sweet and very like, very like understanding of, 
of how I'm feeling. Like it's obvious he can tell that I'm uncomfortable and that I'm not trying to make him feel weird. And, and he's like, yeah, Becca, cool. Like I get it. I'm open to it. Feel free to just share. And I said, okay, cool. And so, so I shared it it was one, it was just like one sentence, right. That was looping in my mind. And, you know, it reminds me of this are y'all tired of me tangenting? I'm going to keep tangenting. (laughs) No, it reminds me of just a really quick tangent. It reminds me of this phrase that my friend Tali told me that she learned in a coaching class that she took, which is that hard conversations usually only require 15 seconds of bravery. Oh, I love that. And it's true. Like I was so nervous and then it was just like a few seconds of uncomfortableness and then it was out. Um, and And he was totally silent, which was like killer for me, you know, because I didn't know, like, I I didn't know what the silence meant. Have I pissed him off? Is he feeling super weird? Does he think I'm super weird? Is he judging the shit out of me now? You know, this was someone I respected a lot, by the way. And, um, and I'm about to like, try to fill in the awkward silence when he finally, he does. And, and as he starts to talk, I realize that he's crying and he says, Hey, thanks. He goes, um, I'm going to probably not know how to talk about that right now. He goes, but I really appreciate it. And I'm going to let you go. And I said, totally no problem. And, and that was it. Hung up the phone. We didn't talk about it for a while. Um, and I would have probably been okay with not talking about it again, because honestly, his reaction was validation enough that I wasn't nuts, y'all. I, what, I wasn't making this up. Like this thing that had been looping in my mind had obviously really mattered to him to the point where he became so emotional, he couldn't hide it. And I forever was changed by that. And then I would say, I don't know, it was probably like a month later, we were hanging out. It was, you know, with a group of people. And I think that was probably good because like, you know, I think he had been kind of looking for an opportunity to kind of chat about it without being committed to a long, awkward conversation. Um, and he pulled me aside briefly and he was like, Hey, he goes, I, I just wanted to like acknowledge that conversation we had. And I was like, yeah. And he said, um, he said, I'm, I could tell that was so hard for you. And I really appreciated you doing that. He goes, that meant a lot to me. And I got out a lot out of it, just so you know. And I was like, oh, thank you. I was like, I'm so glad. And that was it. We didn't talk about it anymore. And so why am I telling that story? <laughs> why am I telling that story? I'm not telling that story so that you like believe in that particular brand of magic. Um, I don't, I don't even know how I feel about that brand of magic. And I've been kind of dabbling in it ever since, like that was nine years ago. Um, I've learned that 
the stereotypes and biases we have around intuitive knowing are, are kind of bullshit. Like when you, when you think about a psychic or I don't even like the word psychic, psychic is such a loaded word. <laughs> it's like such a shitty loaded word. I think intuitive is so much more lovely because we're all intuitive and we can all relate to that word, you know? But I think when we think of intuitive people, like we have these visions of like Whoopi Goldberg's character and ghost, right? Like someone wearing lots of gold jewelry and kind of batshit and, um, the thing I'm learning about intuition is that it's, it's like in all of us, it's in all of us. And, and this weird sort of, I mean, I don't know why I love the word bananas, but it was such a bananas experience. Like it, <laughs> I think bananas is just such a like fun word that can bring some lightheartedness around this, like decidedly awkward topic, you know? I'm not trying to suggest that psychics are real. I don't even like that word I just said. Like I I just but I do think that there's so much going on under the surface that the human race just hasn't even begun to understand. And I think I've mentioned on this podcast the Nikola Tesla sentiment that he famously gave years ago. Um, this is one of the most scientifically brilliant minds of an era, right? And he he suggested to other scientists that when they chose to study non-physical phenomena, they would make more progress in their field in one year than they had in all of human history. And I love that. I think that it's really validating to kind of hear a really rational scientific person recognize that so much of our experience is invisible. And there are whole brands of science that are kind of brushing up against this idea, quantum, the quantum sciences, quantum mechanics. Um, I love the podcast Invisibilia, which um, does a different episode on the ways that science is starting to explore invisible phenomena. Because I, like, I have nothing else to give you in regards to this topic except that story. Like, That's what I told you is exactly how it played out based on my perspective, but I don't have any proof that, that, that I didn't just imagine that whole thing. I think the thing that made it more real is that it was with someone else who had no reason to, <laughs> to, you know, bullshit me, right? And the thing that was so fascinating going forward from that experience is that it changed the way that I viewed my brain. Um, like I would sit down and draw and I would like feel things kind of bubble up in my mind. And I was like, oh man, this feels important. Where is this coming from? And suddenly it wasn't just like this random thing in my imagination anymore. Right? Like suddenly there was like some reality to the magic. Um, it makes me think of Pablo Picasso's sentiment that everything we imagine is real. It's such a beautiful quote and it's quoted all the time, 
but I don't know if people realize that he was being literal. <laughs> like he wasn't being figurative. He was literally saying, when you imagine something, it exists somewhere, maybe not in this dimension, but that idea became much more tangible for me after this experience that, that I started to recognize the way that magic really is everywhere. Like, and so the story is kind of like one concrete example of how this formerly weird amorphous sort of idea in my brain suddenly became tangible and, and grabbable. <laughs> um, and then y'all, and then as an artist, I suddenly was able to wrap my head around the mysticism of our work. What are we really communicating with in our minds? Is it, is there more going on in there than we realize? Um, if you want me to make any kind of like sort of definitive statements around this, I can't. I, I really don't know, but I know something's going on. It's not just like this mess of imagination, like that we're eight, we're feeling stuff that's like somewhere. Um, and the things that we pick up on have meaning somehow. As you can imagine, after this experience, I started overanalyzing everything that bubbled up in my mind. Also a problem. And here's something that I learned. I learned that the things that bubble up in my mind are never, ever made up, which has transformed my experience as an artist, right? Like that if I go into a crowded room and I'm bombarded by a picture or a feeling or a thought, which prior I would just not even barely even noticed because I'd learned to ignore it, right? Now I'll like have a much clearer impression of it because I've learned to pay attention and I've learned that every single time it's real, which is really important for me as an artist, that everything in there, in between my ears, in my sensory nervous system is a hundred percent me picking up on a real thing somewhere in my environment or somewhere around. And <laughs> when I try to interpret it and make meaning of it, I'm almost always wrong. You know, because there's just very, my human, my human context for understanding th that space is so limited, you know? And that took me a long time to like give myself grace around. I, I spent years trying to make meaning around the things that were in between my ears. And um, I have to say that that was one of the really great benefits of having Jason as my partner and now husband is that he would, <laughs> he's never, ever discounted the impressions that I get. And yet he always encourages me to um, let go of any attempt to interpret them. Um, because we don't need to interpret magic to enjoy it, you know? Um, 
this matters for me to share with you because I feel like so many artists sort of get severed from their magical intuitive knowing really early on because um, they're, they're also trying to not be sensitive and they're trying to not be tough. They're, they're trying to be tough, right? And to be strong. And one of the ways that I think a lot of creative people try to be tougher and stronger and less sensitive is by creating walls around their sensitivity. And Brene Brown, the amazing Brene Brown, um, has said that you can't selectively numb, right? So if you decide that you're not going to be sensitive to things that make you appear weak, (laughs) you also then are going to block out your ability to sense magic. It's like you can't pick and choose, you know? And this experience like that I had in 2011 gave me permission to believe in magic. And also it gave me this desire to be sensitive. I had, you know, that, and then later on, you know, a couple years later, I would have that experience that I talked about in episode two of this podcast, where I met an artist who gave me a new story around why being sensitive is important as an artist. But this experience in 2011 was the first time where I was like, oh, maybe I want to be sensitive. Prior to that, I don't want to be sensitive. I didn't want to have these experiences. I felt crazy around them. Um, so this story isn't meant to make you believe in that kind of stuff. Like, really, it isn't. I, I still don't know what I think around any of it. But I can tell you that there's absolutely, if you're listening to this podcast, and if you're still listening to this episode... <laughs> I am certain that there's parts of your experience that you have learned to um, block that maybe you're curious about again. Um, And that was kind of my motivation in telling a story like this. There's this fabulous series of books that the first book was adapted into a movie called The Golden Compass. Um, You might have heard of it. It was with Nicole Kidman. It was a fantasy movie. And actually, an interesting sort of side story around that movie is that it was originally when it was, I think it was picked up by Warner Brothers. I forget. It was like one of the big studios. They had signed a deal with the author of these books to do three movies based on his first three books. And then Golden Compass received such terrible negative blowback from the Catholic church <laughs> that, um, and the protests around it were so inflammatory that the studio, um, decided not to proceed with the second and third movies. I, I did just discover that HBO picked up the series and it's called, Oh wait, let me look it up. I've never, I don't like doing this while I'm recording. Usually it's like, you know, advisable for me to look this stuff up before I, um, I'm talking, <laughs> um, but the series is called uh, His Dark Materials, and um, this is an HBO adaptation of The Golden Compass, and obviously they have much more leeway to tell a controversial story because HBO. <laughs> the reason Golden Compass was so um, controversial is that the story 
is about this idea that children are born with a daemon, which I think I've mentioned in other episodes of this podcast. Um, the the way that the author and the the movie portrays the daemon is in the form of an animal. And when the little children are young, the animal changes form all the time. Like sometimes it's a cat, sometimes it's a butterfly. And then as the children grow into adult form, the daemon solidifies in form too and stays as one animal. And they communicate with their daemon all the time. They get wisdom from their daemon. They get advice from their daemon. And the daemon is meant to be an, is meant to give form to the author's belief that when we're born, we have this kind of dialogue with another realm all the time. And in the first book, or The Golden Compass, the antagonist of the story is played by Nicole Kidman, and I forget her character's name, but she kidnaps children when they're really young, and she's created this sort of like machine that severs the tie that these children have with their daemon. And, and when she does that, it makes the children much easier to control. And I mean, what a violent sounding (laughs) storyline, but the reason that this movie was so controversial to institutions is because the author basically is making this very compelling argument that religion and, and lots of institutions in our culture systematically sever children from their spiritual knowing when they're really young and that makes humans and that makes them much easier to control, right? It's like a very disturbing thought. And and yet I think also, at least for me, it deeply resonates. Because if, if you don't have a connection to your internal wisdom anymore, you're much more likely to look for wisdom outside of yourself. And this weird, bizarre experience with this medium woke me up to the fact that there's all kinds of crap banging around in between my brain that is trying to help me and give me information, not just about other people that I know in my life, but about myself. And and the magic of that has blown open my art making in a way that I still don't know if I can put words to, you know? So as you can imagine, I, <laughs> and then I'm going to wrap this story up. As you can imagine, I was so completely blown away by this experience that I immediately made another, you know, session with this woman. I only saw her three times. Um, this was, but the second time I went to see her, I of course had a million questions, right? Like I just wanted to like take down every single possible note that I could about how this thing works. Like, just tell me how it works so I can go home and like make it function for me. <laughs> and she, I'll never forget, like she was, her answers were so, so unsatisfying and amorphous. And I remember finally, like halfway through the session, she looks at me and she goes, Rebecca, there's not a manual. And I was like, fuck, I want a manual. (laughs) She's like, intuition doesn't work that way. Like, that's, you know, like, that's what makes it so great, 
You know, this is a journey that you're just going to take and you're going to figure out how it works for you on your own with help from others. She goes, but if you're, if you're, if you think that this is just going to be like something you can read a book on and suddenly understand like the alphabet, she goes, that's not how it is. And I was like, son of a bitch. (laughs) And so, you know, I kind of just was like, all right, you know, and I, I kind of let that go. I just like let that vein of like, you know, because if she had had a manual, y'all, I would have probably shelled out all kinds of money. I mean, this is like saying something about her her honor as a mystic and as a medium. She she could have sort of told me she had all the answers, just like religion has done and just like a lot of institutions are willing to do. And she didn't. Instead, she put it back in my lap. And she's like, you're going to figure it out. You know, this is like the work that you're here to do is to like figure out how to reconvene that conversation with your, with your insides, with that magical place that exists in the world. You're going to figure it out on your own. Woo. And she's right. Took it's. T- I mean, I'm still like barely scratching the surface. I've been like trying in like all different kinds of ways for the last nine years. And it was mostly frustrating and also really rewarding. Um, and maybe in some ways this story feels like unsatisfying, you know, cause like, I'm sure there's this element of like, well, what ways, what ways are you talking about Borelli? I mean, I don't even know if I could begin to say like, it's like nine years of, of crazy spiral exploration, (laughs) like the messiest journey I couldn't even begin to, I couldn't even begin to, to share, which is why I think, you know, her answer that there's no manual was one of the wisest things she could say. I, I don't know if I could explain it either. Um, but I really wanted to share that story because I wanted to give sort of a concrete form, a concrete example of how much there might be that we brush up against in this world. And and you might be like hearing that story and you're like, yeah, that's not for me. And that's really valid. Like I, I've told that story to my husband and he's like, yeah, no, (laughs) like, um, and, and yet Jason is incredibly sensitive. He picks up on things under the surface all the time. He's just not going to use that story. The, the narrative that I use to explore sensitivity is not for him. Um, he's so much more intrigued by by science and he's very aware of how much more we have to learn about the human experience you know so that was why I wanted to tell this story is to sort of stoke the flames of curiosity around what is it that we are being asked to kind of reconnect with when it comes to magic you know, like I think that's why the Harry Potter series kind of to come full circle back around to Harry Potter again. <laughs> is 
I think that's why that series just exploded because like baked into that entire series is this idea of the muggles and the people at Hogwarts, right? And there's this idea of like right from the first book where they sort of make fun of the muggles for like building a whole civilization around living without magic, And like how silly those muggles are for like doing everything the hard way because they absolutely insist that magic isn't real. And I think that that, that, that idea just like deeply stokes flames in people. And that's why those books were so profoundly popular with not just children, but like every age group, because there's so much that we want to believe I think that's one of the things that makes artistry so amazing. You know, writing the Harry Potter series is absolutely an art form. And I feel like what J.K. Rowling was absolutely trying to do is give people permission to believe in magic. And in some ways, I feel like that's what all artists are being asked to do in, in totally different ways. Like... Someone that I immediately think of on the opposite side of the spectrum is Jean-Michel Basquiat, who, you know, died when he was 23, you know, I think from an overdose. His work was so, so decidedly raw and rough, and it was about like really intense, not shiny, magical topics at all. And yet also very mystical and also really asking people to believe in a much richer existence. And I feel like all sincere art is doing that, even if it's just painting a a still life. And I don't even like saying the word just because just implies that painting a still life is somehow less than, and it's not. A sincere still life makes fruit become magic. I think of my friend Paula and she, her Instagram account is Woe Nelson. Sometimes she listens to these episodes. If she's listening still, I commend her. This is a long episode. (laughs) Um, She does a lot of citrus paintings, paintings of mussels. These are not topics that I particularly would find inspiration in recreating. And yet when I see her work, I feel something looking at fruit, looking at food. It, her renderings of them remind me the magic of those objects. That is what we're here to do artistically. And I, I really feel like I want to do an episode around this because there's so many art podcasts and there's so many art blogs and art Instagram accounts that just fill people's heads with art as capitalism, right? Like, how are you going to sell? How are you going to make something that sells? We didn't come here to sell shit, y'all. <laughs> We didn't come here to figure out what is slick and what is right. We came here to make magic stuff. And we came here to remind people of their magic and remind people of the world's magic. And that is, to me, the more noble mission. And also, 
I was completely severed from that mission for the whole first three and a half decades of my life, right? Like I was very much, I had very much drank the Kool-Aid around making stuff that sold, making stuff that was slick, making stuff that people wanted on their walls. And, and it was, it was when I started to believe in magic and buy and remember my own magic that I started, that my work became what it is now. And, and interestingly enough, there's a market for that. (laughs) People really want sincere work that reminds them of magic. It doesn't have to be swirly rainbows like me, right? It could be very dark and very rough. Um, but, but it's, it's sincerity and magic that that I think the earth and the planet and the human race need more than ever. And I felt really called to share this story about one of the first experiences that I had where I just felt like clotheslined by magic. Like I couldn't ignore that there was something really deeply mysterious happening that, that defied all context, (laughs) all human context prior, you know? Anyway, that's what I'm thinking about today. This was a longer episode, but it absolutely had to be. I I always can tell when an episode is is wanting to be done because I'll start to get tired. Um, And this one, this one I had energy for, for much longer. So I hope you got something from this, take what resonates with you, leave the rest. I appreciate so much those of you that listen to this. If it means something to you, please forward it to a friend or a family member that you think would appreciate it too. Please consider leaving a five-star review. That helps tremendously in getting the podcast in front of other people and their eyeballs and their ears. Until next time, I love y'all. Peace.